Welcome to the practical podcast for technical people who want to start their own company. From founding to building your business, we're here to help. I'm Sean Hemel. And I'm Harris Kenny. This is the Hello Blink Show. In this episode, we're welcoming back Jonathan Giorgino of Bino. Now, we spoke with Jonathan in the past about getting his business started. It's going really well since then, but something came up and he got in a bit of trouble. It worked out, but we're going to have him tell the whole story. He's bootstrapping this hardware company, and so I think there's going to be something in here for everyone. Jonathan, welcome back. Thanks for joining us. Good to speak with you again. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me here. It's really you know always a great time to speak with, with you and Sean. All right. So folks, if you haven't heard the past episode, you can look it up on helloblinkshow.com. We'll put it in the show notes. We're not going to have Jonathan go through like all of the history of starting the business. But Jonathan, if you want to give us like a, a short snapshot of where Bino has been, how it got started and where you are today, kind of gets people up to speed on what's happened since the last time we talked. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I started this business we uh, back in 2019. Um, I've been working on, you know, bootstrapping it as Harris uh, pointed out, um, you know, trying to get our early customers and, you know, get some traction, grow our distribution. Um, so probably since the last time we've talked, you know, we, we've, we've shown up in, in Adafruit and SparkFun and a few other global distributors. Um, and, you know, we've also increased our, our direct sales as well. We've done a lot of experimentations with different, for, different forms of marketing, uh, you know, improving our SEO, reaching out to influencers, um, you know, newsletters, podcasts, you know, we've pretty much tried to do every possible marketing experiment we could to, to figure out how to grow. Um, and, you know, we've, we've reached varying levels of success, but we've certainly seen year over year growth. Um, you know, 2020 was a, a crazy year with the pandemic of, you know, making uh, everything very hard to predict. Um, but, you know, we've seemed to got a fair amount of wind in our sails again. Um, and 2021 is starting off strong. That's awesome. I want to uh, I don't mean to hijack too much here, but I am very curious. We could do an entire episode about your marketing stuff and what's what you've tried over the last year. Can you give us a quick recap of what has worked in your experimentation and what have you learned from all that marketing research and experimentation? Sure. Um, so, you know, just to talk about what's worked, what has worked the best has been like the stuff that you can do for free, like show up on people's podcasts, you know, reach out to influencers, uh, you know, find companies that are doing similar things, reaching similar audiences that you can collaborate with. Those have worked out very well for us. Uh, what hasn't worked out very excitingly is like Google and Facebook paid ads. <laughs> I've um, heard that. You are not the first person to say that paid ads are a waste nowadays. Yes. I guess it depends. I guess it like depends. But for you selling a host adapter to professionals wanting to use them, paid ads does not like what you're saying is paid ads is not the way to go. That's right. It seems like no matter how much you optimize your campaign, the only person that is going to win is Google. Um, you've optimized them to extract the most amount of money for you without you turning it off Um, right it's the gun manufacturers in the arms race right right. they're the actual winners of the of the arms race that's right but yeah I I would say um, you know in terms of both you know business and the enjoyment of running the business the the winning activities have been like working with individual influencers that was an awesome you know both experience and um, the outcome of it was pretty good you know, showing up here on Hello Blink Show or my previous appearance on the Amp Hour, those have been fantastic personal experiences as well as translating well to, to the business. You know, collaborations with other businesses have worked out well for us as well. Um, and and just, you know, the orga- just the organic stuff like, you know, SEO and as Sean has taught me uh, previously, plant trees. So finally, we've got some some saplings uh, in our garden uh, that seem Woo-hoo! to be bringing some, some, you know, organic traffic to our website at no cost. Um, it, so, and it takes months, right? Oh, yes. Like the, these are the articles that we put together in like August or June or July of last year that are starting to be the ones that, that you know, have the most noticeable impact to bringing new visitors to our website. So you're saying new visitors, have any of those turned into leads that you can say or tell? Or is it just now starting to get a trickle of unique visitors? Uh, I'd say that, you know, we have certainly a noticeable trickle of new visitors, but there's also ones whose first page uh, on their site was one of these blog posts or articles. Um, and they've resulted in a sale. Um, awesome. You know, we, can, we can see that. Yeah, that's that's really fantastic. Um, that's, that's, so, that's your first piece of fruit from your fruit tree that yes. you've planted. Yes, we got one avocado. <laughs> <laughs> that's like a tiny dish of guacamole that you can now make. <laughs> that's right. But it, that's, that's good. It's good. It's a start. And, you know, it, it makes me feel like, oh, great. If I keep doing this and allowing these other trees to grow bigger and bigger, um, you know, eventually uh, it will feel very good. And, you know, there'll be a nice income stream associated with, you know, that, that effort. 
Yeah, no, that's awesome. And then quick question about your influencers. What type of influencer marketing have you tried and what's worked? Is it just reaching out to individuals or is it like specifically podcasts or it's, you know, reaching to somebody on Twitter? Like what does that entail sure. to help people out who may want to know? So we, um, you know, it started off by reaching out to a variety of different people um, and the end results were almost uh, none of them replied, um, which was, you know, a bummer, but at the same time, totally understandable. Um, and this everybody like wants emails? Yeah, like for the most calls? part, just like, you know, okay. hey, I, you know, I saw your videos on YouTube. Would you be interested in doing something like this for us? You know, I don't know any sort of sponsorship. Is it money? Is it an exchange for goods? You know, um, you know, just, you know, how can we, you know, be be a part of doing something together on your on your channels? Uh, most of those, you know, either responded, you know, uh, you know, a polite declines or no response at all. Um, but we ended up working with uh, an influencer, Shannon Morse. Sometimes she goes by, by Snubsy. Um, and, and it was awesome because most of her, her audience is in uh, the info security world or even in like consumer products. And so there are a lot of people who would be you know, interested in a product like ours, um, not a super technical, um, but they're on like the edge of, you know, maybe they, they do work in our industry or are uh, you know, aspiring to be within an industry that would use a product like ours. And she did an excellent job of kind of, you know, taking our very dense technical product and explaining, you know, what it is and what can be done with it to an audience um, that isn't necessarily already a professional engineer or is a professional engineer in a different domain of expertise. So uh, it's like reaching this fringe audience or somebody that like, like might have some overlap, like you're saying. Exactly. Um, and, and a much wider base. And so, mm. you know, she's got a, a lot of people that are coming to our website. Maybe they're not the type that are like are going to buy it, but they're interested in it. They know it exists. They know Bino exists now. Um, and so, you know, that starts to proliferate. And, you the know, top of funnel. Yes, exactly. And her content that she produced for us is pretty much evergreen. Um, you know, people will search for Bino, they'll find her YouTube videos and, you know, they'll, they'll be able to learn from her about them rather than, you know, being sold by our marketing, you know, spiel. They're sold by a somewhat independent person. Of course, she was influenced by us, but at the same time, you know, she got to say whatever she wanted and we only saw the video after it was done. Um, and so I, I think that it, you know, it provides some independent source and, you know, her, her production quality is great. Um, and I think that it, it, it ended up working out representing the brand very well. Um, and also reaching a, a particular audience that we couldn't reach um, by ourselves. And Jonathan, I, I want to jump in here. So you've got two types of content that it sounds like that we're talking about here. Now, this is not a substitute for data sheets. This is not a substitute for getting started guides and sample code. You've got all that. And if you go to their website, B-I-N-H-O dot I-O, you can see that technical documentation that you put together. And I think it's really well done. I think you've got some nice, it looks like vector graphics showing the product and, you know, a soldering iron laptop, an example board, whatever. But that, that's only going to get you so far, right? And it sounds like by breaking out into different formats, podcasts, and, you know, working with influencers, you're able to maybe get new people's attention, sort of net new people. And then ultimately, they still are going to want to like look into how the product works. So it's not like one or the other. Do, as an engineer, do you feel like it, it, has this been at odds like with how you think people would buy your product? You know, like did, did you think that they would like see a YouTube video and buy a USB host adapter? Has, has that been counterintuitive for you? Is it working like you thought it would work? Because it's it's different than some of the content that you've made in house on your own, right? Right. So I, I would say that, you know, it's not necessarily expected that people would see this YouTube video and like me, oh, I need 10 host adapters. Let me buy them right now instantly. Um, I wasn't really expecting that. While it would have been a very fantastic outcome, uh, I think that uh, I'm somewhat more rooted in reality that, you know, host adapters aren't necessarily an impulse buy. And you kind of need to, you know, let people know that you first exist and then what you offer. And then when they, they would use that type of product and then hope later that when they find themselves in that situation, they're like, oh, yeah. I should get a, a Bino Nova because that's the perfect tool for this job. I remember watching a YouTube video, you know, X number of months ago, and um, I'm ready to, to, you know, give it a try. So I, I, that's the, you know, the, the mentality that I had going into this. Um, and, and I think that one thing that, you know, you pointed out is, we, you know, we've got a lot of technical content, but we're also trying to do, you know, content in different mediums. One of the lessons that I've learned in a, a previous role in my life is that content is king. I, I've previously worked at Wonder Workshop. Um, where our product is a Bluetooth connected robot, um, you know, of which there are, you know, 100 different companies making Bluetooth connected robots to teach children to code. Um, but so the key differentiator there is actually the amount of content you produce around your robot, because the, the actual deciding factor isn't, you know, is this 135, 140, 150, 160, 170 dollars? It's how easy is this for me or my teacher 
to instruct my child how to learn to code. And that's actually, you're just selling content. You're not actually selling, you know, nobody cares if the gyro is super accurate in yours or, you know, what the, you know, all the technical specs of these robots to the parents and teachers buying them to teach their children. They're just a vessel to teach coding. And so they just want all that content to exist. And so from that lesson learned in, you know, a, a different domain, we kind of rolled into to Bino knowing that, you know, despite having a fantastic host adapter hardware product, if you don't have a bunch of content that makes it easy to use, people will move on to something that, that already has that content that exists. You know, there's a couple well-rooted competitors in this space that have been at it for 15, 20 years, and they've got that content. And so that's actually what we're competing against. Even if we think our hardware is great, we need to have that level of, of content available too. Does that make you angry as an engineer? As a Because pro- you, you are using product to drive growth for your company. Does that just like tick you off or have you just come to grips with the fact that that's how it works and it's not just about being the champion of the spec sheet? Uh, that's a, a great question. I have mixed feelings about it because yes, you know, I, I think that there's, there's a beauty in an art to having, you know, a, a fantastic spec sheet. Um, but like, take a look at Apple. They're a perfect example of having, uh, this content ecosystem that is absolutely fueling their business. And sure, they've got, you know, good hardware, but that's not because, you know, they're like, Hey, buy this product. And they put it in a crappy box and they have a, a you know, a terrible, hard to navigate website whatever. No, they've actually taken a very good hardware product and they've packaged this amazing user experience around it. And because of that, they are, you know, like the, the benchmark for a consumer product company. Um, And I think that they wouldn't be who they are if they didn't have that focus on all the content and user experience that they design around their good hardware. And so I don't think it should be a surprise to any hardware company that that recipe for success improves doing more, uh, requires doing more than just having a fantastic data sheet in a, you know, a solid product. And so there was one product decision that you made that actually got you in a bit of trouble. We're going to talk about this in a few minutes. There's one more marketing thing I want to touch on, but it looks like it got you into potentially some legal hot water. And so product matters, product can also lead to difficulties. Before we get to that, because I think that's really the main story we want to talk about today. Before we get to that, I just want to touch on SEO within Shopify. So, you know, there's a lot of other platforms where they have built-in tools. Like if you have a website on WordPress, for example, there's plugins and it's really native sort of built-in ready for SEO. And Shopify though is different. Your website is a Shopify site. There are some SEO tools that are like in parallel to your Shopify site, like Ubersuggest or Ahrefs or Moz. And then there's other times when you need a specific Shopify like tool for SEO specifically to make sure that your page, like, so you can get a tool to tell you like what keywords to use or to tell you if you're like maybe making a mistake with Google with your headers or title tags, but then it's helpful to have a tool within the actual site admin panel. W- what plugin did you choose for Shopify? If you remember, or, or, or did you go around searching or how, how did you manage that? Because not every platform is built for SEO and it sounds like that's working really well. Interesting. I mean, I wish I could give you a very good answer to this, but we're using stock Shopify um, in parallel with, you know, manually reviewing certain topics with Ubersuggest, um, seeing, you know, kind of what our what articles exist for our competitors or for the terms that we would like to capture. Um, I would say that uh, we've done a very poor job at, you know, coming up with process or automation around, you know, how do we really win at SEO? Um, I think that, you know, we, we've had like one or two lucky at bats so far. Um, and the reality is we just haven't focused on, on doing it better. Um, we're, we're totally amateurs at this. Um, but yeah, I, I think that we have a lot to learn about it. And I would say that our, our SEO results so far were a lot of manual grind to getting a good article and a manual review to see how it is. Um, it wouldn't be scalable for us to do this over and over and over again. We would lose uh, our entire ability to produce uh, technical products um, if we were to bury ourselves in in SEO the way we're currently doing it now. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, well then homework assignment for you. And if you're listening and you want to run a hardware company that uses Shopify, if you go to the Shopify app store, just apps.shopify.com and just type in SEO and you're going to see there's a couple different plugins. The one that personally I've used with some other client work is just called Plugin SEO by SureSwift Capital. Um, but there's a lot of other ones. You may you may find one that works better for you. The nice thing about a tool like this is that it can 
surface issues within your admin panel in Shopify and help you more quickly resolve them. So like technical SEO errors or filling in things like metadata, like title tags and for different pages, or maybe like redirects uh, for broken links or uh, alt text for images and things like that. Um, so, but I think it makes sense by the way that you didn't spend a ton of time on this in the beginning because you didn't really know if SEO was going to work for you or not. I think you had a hunch and it is working. So now is a good time to then look at automation. Like, I don't think there's anything to be, there's no problem with how you've done it. Like it would be weird if you spent three months working on SEO and then it turns out that that wasn't a good acquisition channel. And it turns out people only buy host adapters based on Snapchat ads or something. <laughs> that would have been, that would a have been a, quite the revelation. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, just, just a, just a tip and a thought and then, uh, and check it out. I, I think now if you want to double down on, on SEO, a tool like that could potentially be really helpful. Yes, I, I agree. I think that makes a lot of sense for us to, to focus on that. Um, we've also got some some uh, website redesigns in the works as well. So I think that uh, as part of our, our you know website cleanup, we'll probably institute some of those better you know best practices and, and plugins to use to, to help us. Harris, let's take a moment to thank our sponsors here. Uh, they are CyberCity Circuits based in Augusta, Georgia. What can you tell us about them? Well, they are an electronics manufacturing company that we've been working with for quite a while now on the show. One project actually that we partnered with them on was a sticker giveaway. We did a little sticker giveaway on Twitter uh, last year, and they helped us send stickers all over the world. It was actually really painless. They've clearly got the capacity. I know it was a small project. It's literally just putting stickers in, but they've got the, all the systems in place. They can ship our stickers. I assure you they can ship your electronics and they can make them too. We loved working with them and they've got a pretty sophisticated setup based in the US and they don't just do stickers. Remember, they can make boards and all sorts of things on top of that. Check them out, cybercitycircuits.com. Use Hello Blink Show, all one word, all capital letters, at checkout for 10% off your next order if you're ordering from their electronics distribution side, or mention that you heard about them through the show, Hello Blink Show, if you're ordering contract manufacturing services from them to get 25% off the assembly costs of the manufacturing. Let's get back to the show. I think we jump into a story because I am dying to know what this story is. Yeah, tell us the story, Jonathan. This is like the kind of thing that I think a lot of entrepreneurs like kind of shaking their boots it's I'll, I'll give one hint that it's trademark related and i will say some of the most expensive legal issues i've seen with companies i've worked with over the last 10 years has been trademark related and i think the way that you responded to this was just like i thought it was so awesome and really inspiring honestly I, i've never heard of someone doing this before I, this is such a good story <laughs> sure yeah and I'm, I'm really happy to tell this story it's uh, a very interesting one also for me you know personally um, you know, we're growing this business and, you know, I'm, I'm sure uh, fellow listeners are familiar with a company called Micro E or Microelectronica, you know, based in Serbia. And they make, you know, development boards, uh, engineering tools um, and are partnered with a lot of the silicon companies. Um, and they publish an open source spec called the Microbus. Um, it's a similar ecosystem. You know, there's like Feather and Quick and whatnot. And they've got their own called Microbus. And it shows up on a lot of manufacturing dev boards. Um, and so we produced a uh, what we call the, the Bino Nova Click Pack. Um, which included two um, dev boards that would easily fit into the sockets that they've standardized for their microbus, microbus ecosystem. Um, and, you know, I was excited one day to wake up to a, an email from uh, uh, Alexander at MicroE. I'm like, oh, wow, these guys found my board. That's great. I would love to get their attention and see, you know, what's going on. And I read the email and he's like, hey, we'd like to talk to you about your uh, trademark infringement. <laughs> and I was uh -oh. like, oh, man, what did I do wrong? Because I certainly I'm, you know, I'm I'm not one to, to harm anybody or intentionally, you know, be like, oh, I'm going to take micro ease trademark and, you know, take it to the bank. No, 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 no. That was not my plan at all or my intention. I'm like, I just want to, you know, make Nova easier to use for anybody that's already working within their ecosystem. Yeah, it's, like, not oh, like you no. were, it's not like you were selling knockoffs. Right, it, right. You know, deliberately being like, oh, well, I'll get this clone made from some factory and I'll charge a dollar less and I'll be laughing all the way to the bank. Exactly. So, um, you know, my, my first reaction was, oh, no, I goofed. What, you know, let me find out where I, I, I did, you know, where, where I went wrong. Um, and I, I pulled back up their, their microbus specification and, you know, read it word for word. And, you know, there it was jumping out right at the like one liner warning. 
You know, this is a uh, the word click cannot show up on your board. That's trademarked oh. by Micro E. And I'm like, oh, man, how did I miss that? Well, I can tell you how I missed it because when, you know, engineers are notoriously don't read, they just look at other work. And so I looked at all the click boards that they sell on their website and all of them call it click. Oh, great. <laughs> I'll call mine click too. Should have read. Uh, so, it, you know, the air was totally on me. I'm like, oh, no, I, I did goof up. And Classic so, RTFM. Exactly. Exactly. And so here I am. I'm in hot water. They're, you know, they've got their sights on me and not for a, a good reason. Um, and, you know, the, the reality is I, I responded. I said, oh, you know, you're absolutely right. I made a mistake. I'm sorry about that. And I've taken the product page down, and, you know, and it's and it's not going to happen again. Um, and, you know, uh, I think that, uh, you know, coming out and immediately just, you know, taking ownership of the mistake and, you know, turning off the product page and immediately showing them that I was willing to take action rather than like, oh, what are you talking about? I don't I don't see anything wrong with this. You know, whatever. I'm not going to I'm not going to. That's just a waste of everybody's time. Um, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're not a huge company. They're certainly much larger than Bino. And so there's, there's no reason to, to make enemies. Um, and so, you know, I, I wanted to see what could we do to turn this into, uh, you know, a positive opportunity. And so, you know, I saw on their website that they also ask for suggestions for, you know, people that want to recommend new click board ideas to them and that they would implement them. And so, you know, going out on a limb, I said, Hey, how about I give the design files to you guys and you take ownership of it and you can release it as a click board. And they, they actually responded and thought about it and, and said that, yeah, we could do that. And I'm like, well, <laughs> that would be fantastic. And so I would absolutely love it. You know, you guys, re- you know, review it, you know, make some improvements to it too. Basically do an- another rev on the design. You know, you guys make clickboards all the time. I'm sure you can come up with a better one than I made. Um, and so, you know, we worked through that over uh, probably a period of about three months. Uh, iterated it back and forth. And uh, thankfully, they came to a design that absolutely uh, is fantastic. It combines everything into one board, whereas I was releasing independent ones for I2C or SPY separately. So they combined the design into a single one, added some LEDs to it, you know, and now it's it's a micro E branded Bino Nova Click. It's available on their website. It will be available from their distributors soon. Um, and we also we sell it from our Bino website now uh, starting this week, actually. Um, so it, it ends up having a, a really interesting outcome. Um, you know, what started as trademark infringement is now working out as a uh, great collaboration between the two of us. You know, uh, Bino gets to, you know, reach out basically to all of MicroE's customers by being a, you know, in their official product catalog of clipboards. Um, and, you know, hopefully we can also send some traffic their way as well from people who see, oh, you know, if I, you know, use the Nova within the click ecosystem, uh, I'll work well with all of their different breakout boards and, you know, uh, vendor supported dev kits. But Jonathan, here's the dirty little secret. The clickboard doesn't work without a Nova, right? Well, I mean, yeah, you, you, can, you can look at it. It's pretty. Uh, yes, yes. So you ended up having them improve upon your design, basically do all the work for you, and you get the benefit because you're like, well, we like we lose out a few bucks, per, maybe a few bucks per sale on these these like you know snappable dev boards into their ecosystem. But in reality, what you're looking to sell is the Bino Novas because that's where you make your money. That, that's exactly right. Like this this you know wasn't like oh I'm going to make this Nova Click adapter to you know become a millionaire the, the next hot yeah. product. No no no. That's meant to you know just provide additional convenience for people purchasing and using Novas um, to reach another ecosystem that's pretty popular among developers. Um, and so it's, it's absolutely a win-win. Um, I'm happy that I can now provide Vino uh, Nova customers with this easy way to integrate uh, with their ecosystems. Um, and, you know, likewise, I also think that it's fantastic to, you know, to show like, hey, look, we've got a Vino Nova product. that's almost like, you know, it's in MicroE's uh, catalog. And, you know, not saying that they're specifically vouching or endorsing Vino, um, but they're at least, you know, interested enough to work with us um, and, and release that product. So I, I think that, to some extent, they're happy to have it part of their ecosystem as well. So yeah. trademark infringement as a business development strategy. Well, I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> not not a think, great idea. I think, first of all, we just lost our one lawyer listener. Sorry, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> and second of all, this is a good chance to preview the new Mickey Mouse breakout board by Bino. <laughs> whoa, whoa. Disney is highly litigious. Yeah. That's well, the only way to get carried. It's the only way to get your product onto into Disney World. <laughs> As I know Bob there's Ross so many children say. that need uh, host adapters, so <laughs> that'll work out well. <laughs> As Bob Ross likes to say, happy little accidents. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, and, you know, the other thing, too, on the micro e side, you know, they're a platform company, right? Like they want 
compatibility across the board. They want their standard to be widely adopted. Exactly. You know, this is they. This is a, a win for them too. You know, the fact that you were able to deliver them a board that was, I don't know, 95% ready to go and they were able to put in some input, that's really nice for their uh, development efforts as well. And they can say, you know, their standard works all over the place and here's this innovative new company that has a new take on host adapters and yeah, our our product works there too. So it's really interesting the way you used engineering to open that door rather than like, you know, lots of cold emails to them or, you know, whatever, LinkedIn messages or something like that. Like you saw the value, you put yourself out there and then it feel like, I feel like it materialized. I don't know if this would have been successful if you had just sent them a message on, on LinkedIn or something like that. Oh, I absolutely it agree. Out this way. I don't think that uh, the same outcome would have happened via, you know, cold outreach. Uh, I think that um, it was interesting that it was seeded by this, you know, somewhat scary potential trademark infringement problem. Um, and uh, it was open to doors that otherwise would be very hard to access. Yeah. So like Harris said, you know, uh, business strategy of, of trademark infringement, right? That's going to work out. <laughs> I mean, glad, glad it happened the way it did. Not sure I'd recommend it. Uh, yeah. I don't know. It was a great uh, learning lesson. And it was also fantastic to have an opportunity to meet the, the team at Micro E. Um, that was super awesome. They're super friendly, super nice. And they actually do have design services. So if I can just plug that for a second for them, um, working with them to redesign the next rev of this board was awesome and fantastic. And, you know, a lot of people, when they think about developing electronics, like think to go, well, I'm going to have it manufactured in China because obviously, however, you know, they offer their manufacturing services for, um, you know, uh, lower volume runs, I think up to 10,000 units or so. And they do it in Serbia, uh, which is a very interesting, you know, it's, it's certainly not China, um, but it's not a high expensive place like fabricating electronics in the San Francisco Bay area would be. Um, and so it's a very interesting thing to consider that I definitely wouldn't have done uh, ahead of this. Um, but having gone through it now with them with this, uh, that's something that I definitely keep in mind as I go through other, you know, hardware development cycles. Yeah, maybe take some of that off your plate. Because I, I mean, I know you and you you work with others who do such designs, but, you know, maybe in the future, it's like, you know, I don't have time to do these designs. So it's, you know, you look at offloading some of this. Yeah, absolutely. Between their technical expertise and the fact that, you know, they have all the equipment to, to produce it and do the low volume run um, is huge. Yeah. So something else I wanted to ask you, and thank you for that story. That's fascinating. I love trademark infringement or, or law <laughs> stories. It's like this, it's like the, you know, the, 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 the battlefield um, and you, you paint the picture of this like battlefield. You're like, oh, they're, you know, it's just interesting conflict that always occurs from that. Like I remember such things from like spark fun and all these, you know, way back <laughs> in the day. Always, always good stories. Um, and I, I think you had a good approach. Like you didn't need to get in the lawyers involved or anything like that. You're just like, oh, hey, guys, I, I messed up. And it bloomed into something that was awesome. Um, so something I wanted to check in with you, um, you had just started getting into distributors when we chatted last time. And I wanted to see how that's going. Are you still doing direct sales or, or shipping directly? Um, what's been working out best for growth and being able to maybe offload some of that for you? Yes, actually. So, um, you know, we, we've been growing nicely into distributors. We've kind of, you know, put a pause on efforts to, to expand because we're, we're pretty satisfied with where we're at right now. Um, you know, things are changing a little bit with, you know, uh, Brexit going on because our, our primary EU distributor was in the UK. And so now we might look at for, you know, another distributor that's that's going to remain within the EU. Um, but other than that, we're, we're very satisfied with our global coverage of the dis- uh, distributors. Uh, I would say, you know, uh, our... Our biggest source, um, our biggest distributor is Adafruit, of course. Um, it's worked out very well for us. Um, they've also collaborated with us on a promotion recently as well, where we were able to um, reward uh, purchasers on our website uh, with a Adafruit clue. Um, that was pretty cool to, you know, have a distributor that's willing to work with us both, you know, on, you know, driving sales to not only their website, but them driving sales to us. Um, so that, that was a, a really nice collaboration that we were able to do. Um, and I'd say probably we still have about 50% of our overall sales still come through direct channels on, you know, either by issuing a PO directly to us um, or from our, our Shopify website. So uh, I think that that's a, a, probably a, a pretty good split between, you know, where we would like to be. Um, you know, we definitely want to maintain good contact with our customer base. And so I think we would be a little bit disappointed if, you know, 10 or 15% of our customers only came directly to us. Um, whereas a 50, 50 split feels like that we're still, uh, pretty well in touch with our customer base. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. So that's a really cool split that you've been able to develop there and hopefully offload some of that, like having to run to the post office every day 
Um, cause I know that you, you probably want to spend your time on things like designing or marketing or content or whatever it is to help grow the business rather than just fulfilling orders. Yes, I, I would agree with that. But at the same time, I feel great walking to the post. Like, oh, <laughs> more, more Nova's entering the world. You know, I hope they find their nice forever home. <laughs> okay, that is that is fair. If it's a useful break for you, just like walk outside. It's like having a dog, right? They're like, oh, we got to go outside. I'm like, okay, I guess I should take a break. That's right. That's right. So it's like they're going to the UPS store in the, in the post office, you know, a couple times a week. I'm okay with it. It's refreshing. I probably should get out of my house and, you know. Works out well. Well, it's like you're yeah. going to the ATM. Every everyone that ships out, there's money coming back. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So, so people like sometimes are unsure about distributors. I think there's like three main benefits of working with a distributor. I'm curious, like which, if any of these are are more beneficial in your mind. Like one is that I think the distributors can get you net new customers. So there may be companies who only buy, you know, through DigiKey or something like that. Uh, maybe. So it can get you in front of new people or maybe that when they're, you're listed there, all of a sudden you get shared in front of their customers, like you mentioned with micro E. Another is like lower friction, right? Like you can send these batch orders to a distributor if they're carrying inventory. And so that is fewer trips to the post office, right? If they buy, I don't know, 20, 50, 100 Novas in one order. And the other benefit is like cash flow, right? It's nice to get that like big PO in and you get that big surge of cash into the bank and maybe you can place some orders or pay off credit card or maybe take a distribution from the business. Those seem like the three main benefits to me. Does that, am I missing anything? Are any of those better or, or, or more compelling for you? If, if someone's not sure about working with distributors, if they want to do everything direct? Yeah. So I think like those are definitely three really, you know, important keys of working with distributors. Um, I definitely think like for me, the most important one, um, you know, is reaching new customers. You know, we're a brand that, that, that hasn't existed for very long. Um, and so we're, we're extremely unknown. And so I, I think by, by being in uh, some distribution channels, they find out that we exist. And, and so that, you know, that's that's huge for us. The other things too, like, yes, you know, I'd much rather take one big box of Novas to the post office um, than, you know, 20 individually wrapped ones, although that would also not be so bad once or twice. Um, uh, so the, the, you know, savings on, you know, the logistics side of the operation uh, are, are very nice as well. Um, and, you know, as you mentioned, for you know, certain customers who have you know business policies like they only purchase from approved vendors that are in their systems, like DigiKey or Mauser, that's great because now they have that opportunity um, to do that through our distribution channels. Whereas you know, getting Bino set up to be like a preferred distributor of GE or you know some some dinosaur um, is a bureaucratic nightmare. Um, and so I would just rather not have to worry about that. You know, have to worry about losing the sale because they can just get it through another channel. So I think that there's a ton of synergies um, through the distribution chain, and I'm a big fan of having them. Uh, you know, you mentioned you know having you know big POs on on you know net thirty terms. I I find that a little bit difficult. Um, cash flow is tough to manage when you're a small business. I would much rather be paid instantly by Shopify than than net thirty overall, especially you know then you know not that any of our um, distributors have had payment problems, but then you know if they don't pay on like the thirtieth day, you know you got to chase chase down the money and, and all that. Thankfully, we haven't had any of that trouble yet. But just you know thinking about that that could happen as a result of this, whereas you know Shopify just like shows up automatic two days later, um, you know it's on autopilot. Um, whereas you know actually processing the POs can be you know a little bit more challenging. Um, I, I suppose if you talk to somebody that was business savvy and like liked QuickBooks, maybe they wouldn't complain about it so much. But I'd rather be in Altium than QuickBooks. So. <laughs> Yeah, that's interesting to know that like like Shopify actually streamlines that for you where sometimes distributors could be worse because I would I would think like, oh, ship all these out to the distributors, you get the money and you can go back to Altium. Um, <laughs> but that doesn't seem to be the case, which is really interesting. Yeah, I mean, I mean maybe I've got a, a different perspective because like, I mean, Shopify is all streamlined. Of course they do because they're taking like, what, 2.8% or yeah, something. They better so. be. <laughs> uh, well, whereas, you know, wire transfers, you're not, not, you're not paying a middleman to facilitate that unless your bank isn't a good one. So, <laughs> right. Or it's like a personal account or something like that. Like it depends on what kind of account you have. True. Um, true. Yeah. I've run into both fees and not fees for wired transfers. Got it. But yeah, I would say like, you know, in, in general, we're, we're really happy with our distributors. We would pick up more, you know, in locations in the world that make sense. You know, for example, we've got mm -hmm. a, a distributor in Australia and Korea. And that's fantastic for us because shipping to those locations um, is, you know, expensive and slow. And so we can better reach, you know, customers there with, you know, a great solution. They can get it, you know, in a day or two and at a reasonable shipping cost. Um, and I think that's a win-win for everybody. Yeah, that's awesome. 
on the note of distributors, if you don't mind, uh, I would say actually I've got an experience on the other side because we've recently had a partnership with SensePeak, who makes uh, what's called the PC Byte Probe Kit. Um, they're based in Sweden and have been growing substantially over the past few years, and they have a significant clientele in the U.S. Um, but just as we said, you know, having a distributor in the you know the regions where customers can get fast shipping uh, is a uh, you know makes the solution you know mutually beneficial for everybody. And so uh, over the past six months or so, we've been working as a distributor for SenseSpeak's products here in the USA. Um, and so um, huh. it's a very complimentary product to the Nova as well. And that's been working out fantastic for us because a lot of people who don't know we exist get sent directly to our website from SenseSpeak's link to us as a, a local distributor in the US. They get there and like, oh, I'm going to get a PC bike kit. And, oh, what's this Nova thing here? Oh, wow. I could probably use that. And so I'll throw one of those in the cart as well in my purchase. Um, and so... We've been able to use that to, you know, ride their waves too, um, which has been fantastic. You know, they recently showed up in a, a review video from Dave Jones at EEV Blog, and as a result of the PC Byte being featured in his video, we had a surge on Novas because we happened to sell the PC Byte products in the U.S. Um, and so that has also been like a fantastic distributor experience, except it's in the reverse role where we're actually carrying the SenseSpeak product line because it's so complementary to what we're selling, you know, in our own catalog. It sounds like you you have a couple of co-founders, but you know you none of you you're not doing this full time. You don't have a big team. It could feel lonely. It could feel like you're kind of on your own trying to make this thing happen, right? Will this brand into existence? But I think the theme of a lot of things we've talked about today is that there are people out there who can help you grow your business, who can collaborate with you in unexpected ways, and that. As you get in motion, you start shipping product, you introduce a rev, you introduce some accessories, sort of help comes in unexpected places. I mean, I feel like a lot of these stories, like you wouldn't have guessed these things happened last time we had you on the show. But then over time, sort of sometimes serendipity happens. Things just sort of work out. Is that... You're, you're spot on. I would have never guessed that, you know, the ways to grow my business would have been to resell other people's products. Uh accidental trademark infringement like who would guess that that's the path to success um it's unbelievable yeah and like you said you know we're, we're a team of three uh right now we're spread across the globe i'm in the bay area uh, Forrest is in new york and francis is in the philippines we're you know so yes they're you know we all work in our own little shell um to try to you know make forward progress but yeah well our biggest bumps in business growth have actually been things that we would have never predicted um we're on that path yeah, that's that's how it goes sometimes, right? Like you're like, wow, how did that happen? And something that I learned just now from you talking about this idea of being a distributor, because my thought would always be like, if you're set up to be a distributor, focus on being a distributor of other people's products and do that very, 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 very well. And if you're if you're not, if you're designing your own stuff, a lot of times you don't want to get into the business of being a distributor because it changes the whole dynamic of of product in product out like you're now a distributor you're not a a development house selling like your own product but you bring up a very good point of like when should you consider being a distributor of other people's stuff and from what you're saying only do it if it makes sense to grow your own ecosystem because then it brings people in who wouldn't normally buy your product in the first place or may not have known about it but if this other person's thing complements it then it makes total sense because it creates a better experience for them yeah. Or for the customer. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Like if you'd ask me like, oh, hey, you know, you're already shipping stuff out. Do you want to ship out other people's stuff that you pay for? And then, you know, you'll get a little bit off the top. No, I would never want to do that business model. Um, but the reality is I bought a SenseSpeak PC bike kit. Actually, uh, I, I got one you know, a year ago and I used it and I loved it. I'm like, this is fantastic. And, you know, I, I used it with my Nova all the time, showed it to my colleagues, showed it to a few other people that I, I work with. And they're like, oh, this is fantastic. And, you know, they're like, oh, I'm going to get one. I'm going to get one. All these guys started getting ones. I'm like, you know, we made a blog post or something about it. Um, and then, you know, we decided like, hey, let's, you know, have 10 of them in our store to sell. And, you know, we listed them and they were immediately bought. And so like, okay, well, let's get, you know, 10 or 20 more. Let's get 10 or 20 more, 10 or 20 more. Well, holy cow. Now, you know, here we are. They're, they're selling multiples per day um, from us, which is, you know, like weird. I, I don't want to be a distributor business. I think SparkFun, Adafruit, and you know those hardware distributors are doing a fantastic job. Um, but at the same time, I'm not going to turn away a crowd that is coming to my website to find a solution to their problem. Um, 
So I, it works out very well just because it's so, uh, you know, works well with our product line and it's, it's been easy. Um, and so, yeah, we kind of grew into it by accident. Um, but it's, it's fantastic. If you can find a product that complements what you're doing so nicely, uh, you know, roll with it. And they get the other way too, right? I mean, you're on net, uh, it seems almost certain that they are selling more units because they're in the Bino shop at Bino.io than they would have if they weren't there. I, I like to think that uh, you know I'm reaching a customer that you know otherwise you know it's oh shipping from Sweden takes you know seven days. I would wish I could have this tomorrow. I, I hope that I'm helping them capture those customers. Anyways, Harris, I just wanted to say like the the one thing we talked about. I don't know back on your recommendation in like May of last year or so about including you know. You know, include a handwritten note in your orders for, you know, when they're purchased through like purchasing departments or whatever. So you can actually, you know, reach out to the end user of your product. Um, and so we've actually, you know, I've been doing that. We just created instead of, you know, writing a handwritten note on any paper, we actually made like 50 page uh, notepads. And I just went on the, the cover page of it, throwing a, a business card and a Bino sticker, and, you know, hey, thanks for, for purchasing. And, you know, I'll look up their their business or whatever, and, you know, write it, you know, a personalized note to them. And I've actually been putting that in every order, not just the ones that uh, you know, go to, you know, comp- big companies, I write it to everybody because I think that it's a, a nice touch. Um, and the end result of that have been almost, I'd say 70 or 80% of the people um, that purchase end up reaching out to me personally, sending, you know, an email, you know, sometimes it's as simple as, oh, thanks. Thanks for the note, got the order, looking forward to playing with it. Some people write it and say, oh, I got this because I'm working on XYZ. It'd be really cool if it could do this. How do I do this? And, you know, then I can point them to some of our videos, other content. Um, but including that note in our orders has just worked out phenomenally to actually reaching uh, reaching out to the customer with some level of personalization. Um, and it's it's uh, it's a, just a, such a little thing um, that really moved the dial. And I think that it's one of the, the things at, at Bino um, that we've really got right. You know, it was all on your suggestion. <laughs> That's awesome. Let me give a little context about that because I'm really glad that it's worked out well. I have I was working with a client who got some repeat business from a very large tech company and we had no information about it. We didn't know who was using it. And they're like such a big company that it was like, if we could talk to them, this could be like a company defining account to sort of thing, you know? And so we tried this idea. We threw a note in the box and then the engineer got it and reached out. And we had connected with the engineering team. And when we were speaking with that engineer, we said, hey, you know, we'd love to uh, come out and have a meeting with you and show you how, you know, these products work. And he, uh, this person had been working for the company for like a long time, like more than 20 years. And they were like, I've never had a meeting before with someone outside of the business. I need to ask my boss if this is okay. (laughs) And turns out it was okay. And we had this meeting and they invited their whole team. There was eight people in this meeting and it was really good. And that account has since um, grown four times in size in terms of revenue uh, as we've gotten to know them better. And which is to say that we're solving problems for them as we've gotten to know them better. And, you know, the product is clearly a value add. But this engineering team is so cloistered away. Many times, like they won't have phone numbers. They won't. Sometimes they don't even have email addresses. Like you literally can't reach them. But as a small company like you are with Bino, and you're shipping each individual product, you know, you said like, oh, it's such a small thing. But the fact that you can do that, there's so much in that note. It's the fact that you, Jonathan, are touching every product. It's that you are at the scale where you can write individual notes for each order. There's so many things that a bigger competitor could never do that you can do. And so the idea, Paul Graham talks about this idea of doing things that don't scale. You know, this is where like you're small and you're taking advantage of being small and people respond to that. I think sometimes people want to be seen as like this big mega company and they don't want to admit if they're early on, but there can be real benefit. I think in leaning into those strengths and seeing, doing things that your competitors could never do no matter their marketing budget. Like if they spent $10,000 trying to reach some of these people, they couldn't get to them. And here you are literally on their desk, like right in front of them as they're using, as they're using your product. But not everyone can do that. I think it's pretty cool how it worked out. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. Like this is something that doesn't scale, but at the same time, I hope that I can always find time to do this, you know, for the foreseeable future, um, because it's a nice touch that nobody can do. You know, there's no other business where they're going to put their, their founder writing notes on notepads to toss in every order. Um, and it's great because it keeps, you know, one of the core tenets of our, our product design philosophy is design products that customers want. Well, and how do you know what customers want? You, you, you be connected to them. And this is the best way I've ever seen so far to have a direct connection 
right with the customer. Um, yeah. So I, I think that this is like one of the, probably the best bits of advice um, that I've ever received in my life in general for, you know, doing business. <laughs> That's awesome. Good job, Harris. Hey, thanks. Well, that, Sean, it's like how you sign those boudoir photos for your fans, for your <laughs> You can't tell about my, what I do on the side. That's a different persona. <laughs> um, so I, I, another interesting point that you're making here, Jonathan, like as, as engineers, like we just, we want to design products that like, you know, they're specs, they're, they're tangible things or intangible when it comes to code. But in reality, it's a human problem. It comes down to, are you solving problems for humans? And beyond that, when you start getting into the marketing and sales, can you build trust with these other humans? How do you add that personal touch? And it's things we don't want to think about sometimes, I think, as engineers. But once you do, I think you find that it's like, yeah, people want to know that there's somebody else on the other side of this product. And it makes it a huge difference. That's absolutely right. You Basically, you know, just the, the physical product is is not the whole product. The whole product is... You know, the user experience around it and how do they yes. feel when they open the box for the first time? You know, all of that is actually your product. And so if you're just thinking about the physical part of it, you're missing out on a massive opportunity to really define how customers perceive your business. Yeah. And like Harris says, do things that other companies can't do at scale, which helps build that trust and personal relationship with your customers. Um, I mean, hell, Apple has like a team that like, decides how much the the box should weigh when you open the iPhone so that it like has the perfect amount of pull like as you're like unboxing or ungifting this thing or unwrapping this thing right that's the experience like really they have like like packaging is its own engineering science now because of that experience absolutely I mean that should go to show that like none of that is an accident it is very much designed to be that way yeah I mean, and that's that's still an engineering problem. But like you said, the whole handwritten notes thing, like you can't scale that. That's not an engineering problem. That's a personal touch. Um, like in a way, you're engineering the human interaction side. But, you know, if, if that's right. what it takes to look at it, you know, and it grows your business. Hell yeah, go for it. As an engineer, right? Like ultimately, I think engineers, in my experience working with them, they, they think that to focus on things outside of engineering is to almost like to be deceptive. It's like, well, you're trying to get me to convince someone to buy my product for a reason other than the fact that it's good, that it does its job. Like I want to be honest and transparent with people and I want them to buy the thing because it does the job. But in the long run, if your product doesn't do do the job that you say it does, they will return it. Like they will tell their friends about how bad it is. They will go on social media and say that you ruined their life or whatever. Like, you have to do both. Like you, you can think about these things and still have a product that's made with integrity and that gets its job done. It's not an either or thing. You know, the engineering is what keeps, retains that customer. It's why they say thanks. It's why they buy one more. It's why they refer a friend. The other things are what help them see what the value is or why it's special, but it's not one or the other. Absolutely agree. Yeah. And, and, um, I want to say it was like Gary Vee or one of those says that marketers ruin everything. And I think there is a side of marketing that is um, deceptive. It is the black art, the thing that gives marketing a bad name and why a lot of engineers don't trust it because it's not what it is at face value. Um, And yeah, I don't like that side of marketing. Marketing to me, marketing is a tool and you can be, you can use it for good and you can use it for evil, right? It's, it's all, it's all persuasion. And if you're trying to if you're trying to legitimately help somebody and say that like the thing that I made can help you solve these problems, I don't think that's being deceptive. I think that's saying like, I'm willing to make a trade. I'm willing to like sell you this thing. You give me money and I can help you solve problems with my engineering tool. Um, and, and, you know, maybe sometimes it's like not necessarily problem solving. It could be, you know, a Nixie clock that brings you joy, but that's part of the the bargain there. Right. And then, so marketing that becomes like, here's a thing that does these things. It's not all about feature selling. It's all the things we talked about, right? Right. Building trust, bringing inbound, you know, top of funnel. Like it's a whole thing. It's not just my product does X, Y, Z. Cause that's, you know, if they're examining that, that point they're at the bottom of the funnel anyway. So marketing is everything around there where like building trust is a huge part of that. Um, and then retaining customers, not just through a good product, but also like your handwritten notes and those kinds of things um, is all part of marketing um, and sales. And it helps tremendously. It, it's bringing it's bringing it to a human level that I think a lot of engineers either don't want to look at or they got turned off because of like shady marketing things in the past. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually think like, you know, your, your comments on like shady marketing things, like I have a knee jerk reaction to that. Like I know like, you know, reaching out on LinkedIn is something that's super common, like marketing activity. 
I personally despise it. And so I haven't done it for Bino yet, despite a lot of people recommending, hey, have you checked out you know, LinkedIn for potential customers? Like, <laughs> I cringe at that idea <laughs> of sending a cold email to people's LinkedIn. Um, maybe we'll do it sometime, probably because it works. But yeah, that's one of those things like uh, every, you know, every ounce of blood in my body is like, no, don't do it. It's annoying. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you can use that as, as like how you think about that is probably also how a lot of your customers think about it because they're engineers. Your customers are generally engineers, unless I'm mistaken here. No, you're absolutely um, right. So using that as kind of like a baseline of like, you can always test, right? You can always like find a small sample, see if you get any response to it and, you know, use it as a hypothesis. Um, but then the other way is to think about not just like, cold call people and say, look at this product, but also think about LinkedIn as another social network where you can drive people to your content. And like, it's free. It's kind of like, hey, I see you're in this industry. Maybe these articles can help you and see right. if that works. Right, 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 right. Think about more of top of funnel rather than going for the kill at the bottom sure. of the funnel and say like, <laughs> buy my thing. Because that, yeah, I, I, I nix those people hard too yeah. when they do that. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you on that. Thank you for all your information and like like catching us up on what's been going on in your world as far as um, the marketing efforts. That's really cool to hear that that stuff is starting to trickle in, at least from the inbound stuff, because that takes months or years to build up a body of work around that. Um, and interesting to know, you're not the first person to say that um, running ads is not super effective in this world. Yeah, man, it's always good to catch up with you guys, too, especially, you know, uh, as I mentioned earlier, the, the planting these SEO trees was one of your recommendations from one of our previous chats. And so it's nice to you know, close the loop with you on that. And so, yeah, you know, you were right. Um, we've got we've got some trees growing um, and we're thankful for them now. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm glad I was able to help. You heard it from Jonathan. Help <laughs> to change your life. That's right. <laughs> Plant trees now. Plant trees. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for being on the show, Jonathan. I, I learned a bunch. And uh, thanks again for catching us up on what's going on in your world. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and share the show. Let us know what you think on Twitter at HelloBlinkShow. Find show notes at HelloBlinkShow.com. The Hello Blink Show is shared under a CC BY 4.0 license by Skull Riza LLC and Kenny Consulting Group LLC. The intro and outro music is Routine by Amin Maxwell and is shared under a CC BY 3.0 license. This song can be found at SoundCloud.com slash Amin Maxwell slash Routine. <laughs>